All right, what's going on, everybody? So today I want to talk to you about the painter Francis Bacon. I recently read this book called Francis Bacon's Studio, and it was really interesting. This is the book. It's by Margarita Capic, Francis Bacon's Studio. And I just thought there were a few really interesting lessons in here, you know, especially if you're an artist or a writer or whatever, anyone working on some kind of independent, long-term vision of any kind. I think Francis Bacon's life has a few lessons for us that I wanted to share here today. So basically, the story goes like this. In Francis Bacon's tiny little London flat, this painter seemed to think about nothing other than his own work. I was really struck by how his entire studio seemed to be arranged around his own focus to not let him think about anything else and to constantly bring his attention back to his own work. It seemed like this is a guy who pretty much lived in his paintings his past, present, and future paintings, as if all at once. And here's what I mean by that. Bacon liked to work in series, all right? He produced several variations from one source often, and this serial approach meant that he was always looking at his previous work, and he was always thinking about his next work and how it was going to be better than the previous works. And so as Margarita Capic, the author of this book, puts it, or the you know curator, yeah, author, but also curator of this book, puts it, she says that it was continuous endeavor. She says, quote, this continuity of endeavor served the purpose of developing favored themes and working out deep-rooted concerns. It also reinforced the activity of painting itself as a matter of habit and routine. And I think that this is really crucial if you want to build some kind of really independent long-term vision. You have to basically every single day be living inside of it, looking at it, for looking at yesterday's work, looking at the next day's work, and really not letting into your mind very much else. The more ruthlessly you can do this, the more forceful a body of work you're going to be able to, to build out. And so I want to kind of go into some detail and explore how this, how this worked in his life. And by the way, any of the facts that I talk about here are from this book. So there's the citation. All right. So in my reading of this book and Francis Bacon's life, the unique force and violence of his paintings really derive, at least in part, from a certain kind of ascetic Lebensfeld that he cultivated. Lebensfeld, just a fancy term that was popularized by Edmund Husserl, basically referring to, it's often translated as life world, but by Lebensfeld, I just mean the immediate givens of someone's everyday life, the, the background assumptions, the uh, basic assumed qualities, the ideas, the concepts, but also the material objects. It's the Lebensfeld that this violently kind of purposeful and specific and constrained Lebensfeld, this ascetic Lebensfeld that Francis Bacon cultivated for himself, which you see very clearly in this book, I think really helps to understand how he, he was able to build this very, in, very idiosyncratic and very violent body of work over the course of many decades. So let me explain what I mean. So first of all, keep in mind that Francis Bacon lived in this tiny little flat in South Kensington in London from 1961 until his death in 1992. And that was long after he became wealthy and renowned. So he was not forced by circumstance to live in such a small and modest space. He certainly could have afforded a larger, nicer place. So it's by choice, keep in mind. And in this very chaotic atelier, Bacon basically allowed almost no other inputs or 
distractions other than his painting supplies, of course, and his and his varied source materials. He had a ton of books, magazines, paper clippings of all kinds. But it seems like he was ruthless about only letting into his place stuff that he saw as valuable, purposeful source material, his painting supplies, and nothing else whatsoever. He basically locked himself into this otherwise closed circuit of his own reflections. He would even write, this is this is one of the things that struck me the most, and I think this is what really made me want to write about this thing I was observing in his life, is that he would write handwritten notes to himself about what he should be thinking about. All right, these are not to-do lists. These are not uh, notes on what to do, but literally he would write a note about what he should be thinking about, and he would put that note like above the sink in his kitchen so that it was almost impossible for him to not think about the work at hand, okay? And that's such a kind of way of attention of, of directing one's attention so specifically and so ruthlessly that that really stood out to me as, as rather remarkable. So one of the notes, for instance, says, quote, think of crouching nude, 1952. Or another note says, quote, remember white marks which mask body, all right? So these are, these are notes about his paintings, not something for him to do like he's, you know, trying to be more productive in some quantitative sense, but these are notes about what he should be focusing on to kind of deepen the qualitative intensity of what he was working on. This is, I don't know anyone who does this. It's, it's pretty interesting and unheard of in, in my opinion. So just compare that to today's practice of making to-do lists. People might put on sticky notes in their kitchen, like, oh, you know, what, what tasks they want to accomplish this week. Notice how this is very much not that. These were not to-do lists. They were more like guardrails for his attention. Okay. Very fascinating. And this studio, by the way, was small at only about 13 by 20 feet is what the book says. This studio was small, but small means concentrated. Okay. And I think that's something that comes through in, in his life. It's like the more energy and intensity you can pack into a small space, the more forceful it's going to be, the more concentrated it's going to be. Bacon essentially engineered for himself this kind of hyper-concentrated Petri dish with pretty much no contaminants of distraction allowed in and also no escape valves. There was, there was nowhere else for his energy and his attention to go other than his canvases. And I think that that's just a recipe for if you can sustain that, if you have the discipline and the commitment to, to create that kind of Lebensfeld for oneself and to live in it on a daily basis so that what is given and what is unquestioned just structurally in your life forces you to be so focused and productive in that hyper-concentrated way, I think it would be impossible to not produce an, an incredibly unique and forceful body of work if you just play that out over many years. And in many of his interviews that he gave during his life, Bacon would talk about the works that he, he had been planning for a long time. He would say, I've been thinking for a long time about doing this or that. And I think that one can only really envision and faithfully execute this kind of unique long-term planning, these these long-term projects like this, to the degree that one completely lives inside of one's work. Ideally, one would live in a kind of hermetically sealed, tiny pressure cooker, where all you're thinking about is what you've done, what you're doing, and where it's all going. I think if you don't have that kind of focus and concentration, it's really hard to have some unique and clear vision in your mind of 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 some difficult task or or accomplishment that you're going to see yourself accomplishing in 10, 20 years? Like, how do you really see in your mind in a way with high conviction 
what your the result of your work is going to be in 20 years if you're not really living in it on a daily basis. I think that's something that comes through if you look at Francis Bacon's life. And that's basically what I think he did. He he said, I'm going to bring in nothing but the finest inputs. I'm going to focus every possible attentional pathway back into my work. And then every minute becomes a kind of perpetual duration, past, present, and future all in one. And even focused work, I mean, if you think about it in your own life, like even focused work that you do for a few hours a day, doesn't it produce that kind of feeling? Can't you relate to this in, in your finest hours? Like if you're just writing for three hours straight and you're not thinking about something and you're really trying to make progress on something important, you sometimes walk away feeling like you were living in an eternity. It was neither past, present, nor future. I think that that's what you can get for very long periods of time if you're ruthless about kind of reforming the the environment around you in this way to be so acetic as as Francis Bacon did. Now, just think, compare that to how many people live today. What would have happened to Francis Bacon's painting career had he been subscribed to 23 podcasts? Or if he had been posting clips of his paintings to Instagram and then to Facebook and then to Twitter all day? Think about that. The counterfactual is very revealing, I think, because I, I believe the pressure would have leaked out of his pressure cooker and the violence of his work probably would have had to have dissipated or decreased compared to what he was able to do in his own lifetime. Now, you can debate how much that violence would dissipate. Maybe it's a big effect. Maybe it's a small effect. Who knows? But I am utterly convinced that the force and the violence of his body of work would have necessarily dissipated if he was living in this kind of highly distracted, nonstop digital environment that we all live in today. Now, I think we are learning, like in my community and in many other communities, we are now learning to devise novel structures to offset this kind of dissipation where our attention is constantly leaking and the, and the forcefulness of our vision is constantly being dissipated. And I think we will actually figure out how to use digital technologies to create even more powerful pressure cookers on the digital plane. But in the absence of novel offsetting structures like the ones we're devising in the community, I'm absolutely convinced that this is a serious problem today and that we're talking about a kind of rigorous law-like tendency. If you are living on the internet today, you are, other things equal, dissipating. You are not going to be able to build a truly idiosyncratic and highly, highly forceful vision over the course of a very long period of time. Um, or at least if you're dissipated by the contemporary internet, you're you're going to come out less forceful, less powerful than you would have otherwise. And so to me, this is a massive kind of psychological, social engineering question for artists, for writers, for any kind of creator today is how we can use digital technologies and and use everything that's great about them and exploit them for all of their power and and everything that makes them really useful and great, but also sustain highly unique, independent pressure cookers in which our own visions and callings and vocations can gestate and really build meaningful pressure um, in the meantime, while we're actually doing the work itself. This is a major, major question, which I don't think many people have even fully theorized, let alone solved. But I'm, I'm convinced that this is the task before us today. And it's one of the reasons why I love studying the biographies of writers and artists from previous eras, even though this was not that long ago. Obviously, most of Francis Bacon's life, you know, through the 20th century was pre-internet. Of course, all of his, you know, prime years were. 
and I basically died like right when the internet was coming out. And I just think that whenever you look at these people's lives, it's very, very instructive and very revealing. You can always kind of see how they're able to access certain depths that would have been much harder to access had they been living in the kind of contemporary digital environment that we're living in today. So I think the lesson here is that you should engineer for yourself the smallest possible environment, concentrated as densely as you possibly can with the highest quality inputs and only the highest quality inputs. You should try to explicitly reroute all potential distraction avenues back to one's chosen craft. So yeah, when you're washing the dishes or you're making a meal, sure, you're going to naturally be distracted. Your mind's going to be off of your work, but you can do things like write notes to yourself, even above the kitchen sink, which is going to bring you back as much as possible to the work at hand. I think the more ruthlessly you can do this kind of thing to go out of your way to, to, to create these guardrails for your own attention, you would be surprised how much uh, a pressure cooker you can build and how much more you could really go into a line of flight, to use the Deleuzian term, how, how far off the beaten path you could go and really cultivate something with great intensity over long periods of time. This, I think, is something that we have to relearn how to do so that at all times, cultivating your mind and you're advancing your project even when you're not working on it. You know, to make of one's own life a continuous endeavor, to use the words of uh, Margarita Capek in reference to Francis Bacon, a continuous endeavor. I, I love that phrase. If you simply live and produce work, if you produce anything at all of any quality, even if it's low quality at first, but you do so in such a ascetic, engineered, small, concentrated environment for like 10 years straight, and you just have the discipline to do the work for that long in this kind of environment, it's hard to imagine how you could not produce something exceptional. And to me, that's the lesson. So it's sort of like to turn coal into diamond. Nothing is really required except pressure and time, right? All right, that's all for now. Thanks for listening, everyone. I appreciate it. If you'd like to follow up or talk about this or related ideas, feel free to join the community. I'll put links in the show notes as always. That's always open to anyone interested in this kind of stuff. So thanks for listening, everyone. I appreciate you. Over and out.